0: Today we spoke with Kat Barron about the topic of not knowing, the ways that can challenge us but also open us up to new realities and ways of connecting with each other. Kat is an author, healer, teacher, coach. She hosts a monthly self-love group for Awkwardly Zen. Uh, You can learn more about Kat at holdyourselfsacred.com. To contact myself or Lori, you can email us at spiritroadpodcast at gmail.com. to Awkwardly Zen Presents Spirit Road, a podcast about our spiritual journey where we can be awkwardly ourselves. It's a path that can be funny, absurd, enlightening, and life-changing all at the same time. Join us as we explore this mysterious world and life we live in. I'm Tim Behrens.
1: I'm Lori Hewitt. And and this this is is Spirit Road. Road. idea of not knowing, because I know that spirit has been pushing me to, uh, to really live in that place of not knowing. And it's part of that whole allowing soul, spirit, whatever you want to call it, to guide me every moment in every decision and for mind and ego to not think they're in control. And so that requires not knowing a lot of the times because I don't know. And it makes my mind and ego crazy because I should know, is what they Mm. tell me. (laughs) We're in charge and we should know these things.
0: Yeah. Why don't we start there? Kat, would you mind kind of sharing again what came up for you around the, the I don't know?
2: So I'm thinking lately about how so often we feel like we're supposed to know everything. And this takes place in all aspects of society. Like you see it online in social media where people are suddenly medical experts and demographic experts and all kinds of different expertise that they do not have. Right. You know, they read an article or a meme or a post and they think, oh, now I know more than people who've studied this for eight years, you know, that sort of thing. And, but it's like this strong drive in us to feel like I know everything or, that it's a a detriment or a mark against us if we don't know something and it's like no it's okay to not know. In fact it's better to sort of swim in the sea of not knowing. That way you can you can notice things you wouldn't have known if your mind was just like focused on what i know and you can stay in sort of a state of wonder and explore and experiment and really live vibrantly rather than live by rote, by all the rules you've learned and all your programming. and Maybe my programming isn't correct, and maybe it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know how to handle this situation. I don't know what to say to you right now. I don't know how to make this better. I mean, we're a society that, that wants the quick fix all the time, like how to move quickly back into peace, quote unquote, peace and calm. And we're, and we don't want anybody to be upset, or, or we do want them to be upset. I don't know. There's a lot of that going on too. But I don't know, it's such a helpful place to come from, to let us sit with our own anxiety or our own discomfort or our own not knowingness. And then what comes from that?
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that whole idea of not knowing. And I can remember there was a time when I felt better about that. And I could say, it you know, that I don't know something and was okay with that. And I don't know, somewhere along the line, as I've gotten older, that part has shifted a bit. And there's that constant struggle with my mind saying, but I have to know these things. And I remember a therapist telling me once when I was much younger, saying, you know, Laurie, you can't know something at 30 that you're, you know, that you would know at 40. It's like, you have to have the experience. You don't know these things yet. And my response was, but I should. (laughs) And it's like, I I agree with you. I think there's value in not knowing. And when I'm allowing spirit to really guide me and pay attention to that, I really don't know in the moment until the moment when spirit says, okay, now do this or go here or whatever. I don't know. I have to trust. It's about, for me, it's about trusting.
0: Yeah, this is, uh, I I do feel like there's a lot of power in that. I don't know because the moment that we say that we do, we might be, and not necessarily have to be, but we might be closing the door on the possibilities of all the things that we truly don't know. And I think there's this expectation that we're supposed to. I mean, even for me, what's coming up is that I'm in the midst of job interviews right now. And, and certainly in that context, there's this expectation that you do know that you have to, you're able to speak to all of these things that you're going to be doing in a job. But the reality, especially in the technical world that I work in, is that you really, you don't. Every place you go is going to be different. They're going to use different technologies, different processes, different systems, all of these things. So I mean it would be so wonderful to be to say I don't I don't know but I'm also open to being able to learn like my skill is not that I know these things going in this I have the ability to adapt and to ask the right questions and to determine any situation what's required of me here and what do I need to do to to gain that knowledge and and for me it feels like a far more authentic thing to hear someone who might be a expert in their field Acknowledge that there's something that they don't know or to ask questions and, and then, and then when they offer something that they do know, it feels, it feels all the more powerful because I have that contrast to work with.
2: For sure. And if, and if we stay in the rut of what is known, then there's no innovation. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no art. There's no continual exploring, like if everybody painted the way they were supposed to paint, we wouldn't have the whole variety, you know, and that's the same with people. If, if we aren't all living our own expression, if we're trying to be like we're supposed to be or um, regimented into a certain way of being, then I think the world loses so much in terms of potential and possibility.
0: Yeah. And I'm going back to something you shared right in the beginning there, which is thinking about in interactions, what, what happens when you say to someone, I, I don't know what to say here. Um, there's a vulnerability in that, that to me is feels really genuine and real. And it opens up a doorway for, for conversation to, to be able to, um, let your guard down in such a way to say, I may have this mask that I wear in my day to day that gives the impression of what other people expect and want from me that I can deliver on that, but just to be able to say, I I really don't know what to say here or, or to say to someone, I can sense that you're struggling, but I don't know what I can say to make it better or uh, just to really come at something from that place of not knowing. And then that opens the door to be able to have a conversation, a real conversation about something.
2: Yeah. I mean, that space is so important. We tend to rush in with our opinions, with our you shoulds, with our solutions, you know, our wisdom, instead of letting there just be space. Like sometimes a lot of the time, all people want to be able to do is share what they are talking about, share what's in their heart without being interrupted, without having somebody else fix their problems. That's not what they're looking for. That's not what most of us are looking for in communication. We're looking to be hurt. And when people are rushing in with a, a quick fix, we're not not—we're not going to feel hurt. So I think that space, the, the breath, you know, just breathing with somebody, just allowing that, giving them time to bring up whatever's in their heart. We don't give people time. We pull it out of them. We fill in a word if they're taking too long to say it. You know, we finish their sentences and we... And we're, we do everything to shut down their full expression and to get back to comfort. And it's like, that's how we've been trained in communication.
1: Well, and I think that really speaks to the discomfort we have with silence, for one thing, and really the discomfort we have with people sharing feelings that we're not comfortable with grief is a big one and sadness. When I was working in hospice, sometimes for a lot of folks, that was a really difficult time to sit with folks when they were really expressing their grief and their sadness around loss. And so I think there was this impulse to rush through it with people and try to patch it all up and make it all okay, you know, with platitudes you know everything will be okay they're in a better place whatever it is we say because we're uncomfortable and because we don't think it's okay to say we don't know something and so we want to fill in those spaces I know in groups sometimes when you're working with a group of people sitting in silence is like very powerful and people struggle with that
0: Yeah. Yeah. The silence is an interesting aspect to that. It seems that, and I don't, I don't know, go hand in hand in some ways. And it's, that's the stories that we're telling ourselves. Like as soon for me, I've struggled with silence in conversation because as soon as it hits, that inner voice comes in, that inner critic and says, oh, this is awkward. You need to fix this. Or, or, or if I'm saying, I don't know, the voice is saying, Well, you need to know. And if someone finds out you don't, this is a problem. It's like a imposter syndrome on a personal level kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's been an interesting experience, even with authentic relating practices, of leaning into being more comfortable with discomfort or with my own discomfort. Sometimes I find myself in conversation now when a silence comes up, I'll, I'll uh, I'll just wait and see what happens and just notice what's coming up in myself and um and ultimately it will probably be someone else that will will speak and then and then kind of feeling a little bit of empathy in that knowing that we're all trying to make each other comfortable we're all trying to be knowledgeable for each other and say the things that we feel like need to be heard or shared and yeah it's it's just an interesting dynamic And then even talking about this directly that I don't know, it just like, it brings up this, this awareness of how we, how we move through the world and what the expectations are of us.
2: As you're saying that, Tim, I'm feeling my whole back get tight and I'm feeling like there's so much pressure to do it right. (laughs) You know, even Mm -hmm. listening, are we listening right? Are we being, are, are we humaning right? Are we doing Everything right? Like, am I being compassionate enough? Am I being thoughtful enough? Am I reading the other person's mind? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, it's like, do I look like a good listener? Am I giving them the support they need? What should I be saying right now? It's like so easy to freak ourselves out.
0: Right. And this whole dialogue is going on ironically, will take us away from the present moment where we can just be there for them, right? It's it's like a, a, an interesting example in the authentic rel- relating groups where they'll have everyone tell a story or finish a sentence down like something that I did today. And the inclination is that everyone who shares wants to share something interesting, right, To be to be seen and heard and valued in the group. And so you start going around the circle and people will start finishing that sentence. And at about halfway through, you might stop them and say, you know, who here has been sitting here thinking about what they're going to say when it's their turn? And everyone raises their hand and and just noticing, well, how much did that take me out of the moment where I'm really not interacting with these people? I'm more interacting with this internal world that's telling me I need to know something. I need to know how to be interesting. I need to know how to answer this question, or I need to know how to not stand out with my awkwardness. Whatever it is, it's this ongoing conversation that's um, spinning in our brains.
1: (laughs) You know, I feel like that in our Zen Zoom that we do, where we Mm -hmm. start off having people talk about what they're, you know, what they've been working on this week or experiencing this week. And I feel that pressure to somehow have something interesting or impactful to say about that. And there are some weeks where it's like, hell, I don't know, (laughs) you know, I haven't done anything this (laughs) week, but just do what I have to do. And sometimes I think I just, I try to say nothing, you know, I don't have anything this week, but I feel that pressure of, I need to kind of be that example somehow and put something interesting out there to start off with.
0: Well, and I know for myself, Lori, that when you say those things, I was like, I really don't have anything I'm working on. Just that there are so many people in the community who really look up to you and, and you know, value the gifts and and, and and the knowledge that you share. And and so to hear you say that when you say that is so validating. I mean, it's like, to me, it gives, it gives more credit and credence to the things you say when you do know, because it's like, wow, this person... Has some of the same struggles and same internal dialogues and things going on, or they also don't mean have moments where they don't have anything going on, and that can be pretty powerful too.
1: Yeah, it's like people really knew. <laughs> <You> know, <it's laughs> like, there are just those weeks of uh, it,
0: <laughs> right?
1: Yeah,
2: it yeah. sort of takes the pressure off. It does when when just being human is demonstrated by people that we admire and respect. Mm-hmm. And that gives us sort of permission to just be human too, and I think so many of us, a lot of the time, I I, I know me for sure, I've talked about this in um, my self love journey, that I spend a lot of time managing my image, what I think I want other people to think of me, and not just that, but I try to manage their own image of themselves, how I want them to feel that I feel about them, or how I want them to feel about themselves. Like there's such an element of sort of a desperation to control situations, to control feelings and feelings aren't controllable. Feelings come up and they go and we ignore them or suppress them or pay attention to them or listen to them or express them, you know, depending on how safe we feel and also how extreme the feelings are. Like a lot of people will, for example, keep low key anger unexpressed until it explodes For from something that was really very minor, but it was the last straw and a Mm. series of unexpressed little, you know, issues that they didn't deal with. So but it's so normal, I think, to think, well, I should always be calm. I should always be patient. I should always be loving and kind and considerate. And I want you to think I'm these things and I want you to think I'm deep and take me seriously as a person but also know that i'm fun and you know like i mean it can go on and on all the things we want people to think of us to make ourselves feel safe in the world
1: that's so interesting you say that because you're sharing that it's what what i'm reminded of as i've spent a good chunk of my life adulthood especially trying to project a perfectionist view of of myself so that when people saw me It's almost like I wasn't human. I was this really nice person who was always kind and caring and didn't want people to see those emotions that you don't particularly like. So nobody saw me cry. Nobody saw me sad. Nobody saw me angry. And then as I've been on this spiritual journey and I've really worked to drop that because it's so exhausting And it's like even my closest friends truly had no idea who I really am as I was trying to be that perfect person. And part of it was I had this vision of um, my professional self and I needed to project that at all times because I was a professional mental health person and somehow I had to have that persona on all the time. And it just doesn't work in real life.
0: It's it's so interesting to think that in trying to project this perfect version of yourself, you actually become less relatable, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's, it's really in those moments where you say, you say something like, I don't know that someone can say, oh, wow, I, I, I can, I so get this because mm-hmm. we've all had that experience. I think it was an interesting shift for me and I don't know exactly when it happened and I know it happens pretty much for everyone. But going from that point in life where I was looking up to teachers and my parents and, yeah. Figures of authority and people in government and all of that with this idea that everyone had things figured out and I just had not gotten to where I had yet. And at some point in time, there was this shift where I started to realize that no one had anything figured out and we are all just winging it. And, uh, and it's kind of a strange time, too, because it's you lose your center, you lose your your support a bit when you realize that. But it also opens up this world of like being able to be vulnerable like it's even you know I'll talk with my friends now about I should I should well be into the years where I feel like a functioning viable adult <laughs> and and there are, there are still times where it's just that 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 little kid still lives in me the one who is worried about uh how this and that is going to pan out or or feels like I should know something that I don't and how am I going to get there and the things that keep me up at night staring at the ceiling is just you know when I can allow that part of me to express and and kind of kind of live in that a little bit then then it also opens the door to be able to work on those one step at a time as well. where if I'm just projecting that perfectionist sense of of self like you say, Laurie, it can be exhausting. It takes so much energy to put that forward, and you're really not solving anything internally. And you're really not relating to people, which then makes you feel more isolated in the world.
2: It's got me thinking about how much fear is behind that, how much fear there is when we feel like we have to present this perfect image and like fear that we're going to fall short or that people will see behind that. And I was wondering, as you were saying that, Lori, how, how did that feel to feel like even your closest friends didn't really know the real you like that? feels lonely to me
1: and it was it was like yeah I think it was a very lonely time for myself and I had this illusion and this belief that I needed all this time by myself to recharge because you know I'm an introvert and what I'm realizing as now over the last few years is that I think that was just my way of isolating because it was easier to just be alone and not have to try to keep that facade up. So it was exhausting and it was also pretty isolating and pretty sad. And as I've dropped that, you know, over time, little pieces at a time, started to drop some of that, I find I need less time to regroup in a sense, recharge. I still need that a certain amount of time to just sit and be with myself and be still, but I don't need nearly as much as I did at one time. And it was really about isolating and just staying by myself all the time because that felt safer and um, less vulnerable and less exhausting, actually.
2: <laughs> I can relate to that. Like I spend, I well, I need time alone for mm-hmm. one thing, but I've been spending way too much time alone to be what I consider healthy. Like I feel like I pulled away from, community i pulled away from interactions with other people mm-hmm. just because i and i pulled away from dating even just because i didn't want to deal with the drama <laughs> like it's very easy for me to be peaceful in my own self and it's not very easy for me to be peaceful when i'm interacting with other people a lot of the time you know mm-hmm. and and just to like stay in my own energy that's so comfortable for me and then if I want to interact with other people, I read books. And it's like, you're really missing, you're really missing out on connection and and love. And, you know, the things that I actually do want, but find like, it challenges me to be out in the world Mm -hmm. uh, dealing with all of that.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. It's just easier. And plus, I always tell myself, I'm never truly alone. There's always spirit around talking to me and, you know, I have lots of beings who are like here interacting with me and it's not the same as interacting with humans, you know, in a physical world, because that's where we are. And so it's finding that balance for myself of how do I find the balance so that I have that alone time to, to regroup and center and talk with my guides and talk with spirit. And at the same time, have that interaction, which is also we're social creatures. I mean, we need that. You know, working in nursing homes, I saw what that isolation does to to us when we don't have that interaction because we all need it, even if we think we don't or don't want it.
0: Yeah, I think the certainly the state of the world the last couple of years has contributed to yeah. a relative amount of isolation for mm-hmm. a lot of us. And for me it's it has been the noticing of How much of a practice being in the world can be Mm
1: -hmm.
0: just being social, being genuine, being it feels like that that aspect of I don't know plays into that in a big way for me, because part of my part of my journey right now, as I go back out into the world more and more is that recognizing that I am out of practice and there are times when I don't know what to say. And there are times when I don't know why I'm saying what I am. Even it's just like there's this <laughs> desire to connect, but I'm not even sure exactly why some of this stuff is coming up in me when I do. So it, it feels like um, it feels like a good practice to just learn my journey with learning to be more comfortable with my own discomfort of allowing myself to not know, expressing that, and trusting that I'll I'll be in the right place with the right people. If I keep being true to myself in that journey. And
2: as you were saying that, Tim, I was thinking about how I am not challenged to be myself when I'm alone. Mm. And when I go out into the world, I am challenged to have boundaries, challenged to not put on the mask. Like I don't have to worry about that I'm going to fall into patterns that uh, I don't prefer to have in my life when I'm alone. Well, for example, if I were dating, I'd be very worried about me falling into old patterns of, for example, giving my power away, of putting the relationship first instead of me and my self-care first, getting caught up in drama or people-pleasing, and that's not just romantic, that's like out in life. Mm-hmm. I have a very strong drive mm. for people-pleasing, so I'm always looking to make things better for other people or make people happy, and that's often at the cost of myself so in my own truth and as good as I can be at boundaries I don't like to have to think about them all the time and I don't like have to express them or defend them so like hanging out by myself I don't have to worry about any of that it's so nice but it also is isolating and and it's not leading me to the life that I actually really want of community and love and intimacy and all those great things Mm -hmm. they come at a cost (laughs) of having to express your own truth I mean if you want true authentic relationships and friendships and want really to share intimately with friends that know your heart that know what you really think and feel and not this projection of the person you want everybody to think you are so like to to be able to do that that requires like the big I don't know is the big letting go of the images and the masks and the all that. And right. that's a vulnerable place to be. And it can be scary if, especially if boundaries aren't good.
0: This is a challenging life we lead. <laughs> <laughs> it can be. I so suppose
2: I... if we think about it, it is like a lot of people don't,
0: mm-hmm.
2: a lot of people drink a lot or, you know. Netflix all day long or whatever. We have a lot of coping mechanisms to just not feel into what all the many things we feel.
0: Well, and also too, if you spend a lot of energy showing people that you do know, yeah, it becomes, it becomes a boundary that doesn't let that real connection into it's like you're going to put yourself in places where people are not really interacting with you. They're interacting with a version of you that they assume knows and then it's like, where is the, where's the opportunity for, for growth and exploration and, and learning and that it may, it may be safer. It's probably a safer space in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, you know, or, or at least safer from an emotional, internal kind of level, but also, yeah, it's, um, it, it's so interesting to think about just how that, that simple act of vulnerability can, can open you up to being in places where you're actually learning and growing and then finding that you do know things. (laughs) I guess that's the other side of it too, is like, we might say, I don't know to something, but it opens the door to showing that there are other things that we do know or that, you know, that we have found our truths in different ways and that we can speak to them authentically and genuinely.
2: Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And I love what you just said about various versions of yourself or different versions. I think when we interact with other people, It brings out different versions of us. Like when I interact with you two, Mm -hmm. it brings out a different me than, for example, when I'm interacting with my boss or my friend, you know, other friends or my daughter. And maybe life is about seeing all these versions of ourselves, exploring, well, who am I in this situation? Instead, we try to superimpose this one kind of version of ourselves Mm -hmm. on every situation. This is who I am instead of letting our identity sort of flow and be like, oh, how am I going to show up here?
1: I love that because I've noticed that recently in some of the relationships that I have with certain friends that I get together with, I'm starting to notice I'm a different version of myself with this person than I am with another person. I have a friend who's very playful and joyful and When I'm with her, that kid part of me comes out that doesn't always come out in other situations. So it's starting to really recognize that I just like you said, I do have this flow of different versions of myself. And that's kind of fun to realize that I have these different parts that come out and under different circumstances.
2: Yeah, I want to hang out with your little kid and laugh and Tim, I heard that you have a wicked sense of humor. <laughs> Did you hear that I somewhere? Be, I want to be <laughs> laughing with you know, like yeah. I love that. I want to see that side of you too.
0: It's so <laughs> funny the, the the inner voice that I have around that too is just like there's there's part of me that can be very playful, but it's 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 funny. I almost need to dive deep with people in conversations like this and before I can feel comfortable being Myself, like ultimately, where I end up is just wanting to play. You know, there's something, and I guess that's another aspect of this. Like when you, when you let the, your masks down, and uh, even the, how powerful it can be to say "I don't know" to someone, and still feel accepted and seen and heard and all of that. It opens up this whole doorway to interact and in, in in new ways, just, just to be comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fun. I think-
2: I'm my best self. Like, I love and adore myself when I'm with little kids. I dropped all my pretenses. I am pure love. I am totally playful. Let's do this. Let's do this. I am such a fun, happy person when I'm with a small child. Like, I wish I could just carry that energy with me yeah. all the time. <laughs>
0: well, and it feels like as we're kind of closing in on time here too, that's just a like a wonderful thought to kind of wrap up with too. Like, how powerful is it to flip that statement? I don't know. And to say it with the, with the energy of a child It's like, I don't know, right. but, but let, let's figure this out or let's look into this. This feels kind of magical. I mean, there's, there's this whole world of possibilities out there. It's like, here's something I don't know. Let's explore this like so often we come at that as a, as a negative statement, but it could be this, like, this is something, this is something new or this is something unexplored or unseen. And and maybe this is something we can explore together.
2: I love that. Me too. The whole adventure, like everything feels Mm -hmm. like an adventure when you're a
0: kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's magic.
2: It reminds me of improv. Like when, when you learn to say yes. And rather than, (laughs) you know, the whole scene stops dead. If you say no got to say yes. And, and then like, how are you going to build on that? Like inviting each other into more into deeper into hilarity or even into seriousness. Like, yes. And
0: I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Kat. Uh, Before we go, is that I'd love it if you could share where folks can find you and more about what you're doing.
2: Sure. I wish I had looked this up earlier. I just changed my website.
0: Oh, that's okay.
2: (laughs) And it is now oldyourselfsacred.com. Okay. (laughs) oldyourselfsacred.com. I am there.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you again for being with us and we'll hope to see you soon.
2: Thank you. It's always so great to be with you too.
1: Thanks.